This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. All right, that, if that doesn't pump you up, you need to check your pulse because that was awesome. Like, hey, I know it's a longer clip, but it, it, I'll explain why it was so long in a second. But we are at this series called At the Movies, and we're looking at movies and putting them under the microscope of, of Scripture. And uh, I, I love movies. Does anybody else just love movies in here? Like, I'm, I'm a big movie buff. No surprise, I especially love sports movies. Now, remember the Titans is in my top three sports movies of all time, but the number one sports movie, and I know we're in Indiana, it is not Hoosiers. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's Friday Night Lights. Remember the Titans is number two, but Remember the Titans is an amazing movie, and that's why my shirt says left side, strong side. We'll get to all what that means in a second. But let me tell you a little bit about Remember the Titans. It, it takes place in Alexandria, Virginia in 1971 in the heart of segregation of America. And there's a school, T.C. Williams, and for the first time in, in the school district history, black students and white students are going to go to the same school. So this movie profiles the, their football team, the Titans, that you just saw on the screen. And T.C. Williams is the high school, and they decide, to, as they're bringing in new black students and white students are coming together, they're going to hire a black football coach, Coach Boone, and that was played by Denzel Washington. I'm going to tell you, he has some of the best one-liners in that movie you will ever see. It's hilarious, and it's just, but Coach Boone is the perfect coach. One, he's hard-nosed. Two, he, he, he does not care what other people say. But also, you, you'll see throughout the movie that he's the right coach because he's committed to one thing. He's committed to winning. And, and what he wants to do is, he says, I'm, and one of his lines is, I'll play any player, no matter black or white. I'm going to play the best player. And he was committed to doing that. Well, other coaches at the time would have played only white players or only black players. He says, no, you know what? We're a team, and we're going to play the best players on the team. So the first thing that we see that he does is, is he takes this, this team to camp outside of Gettysburg, where we just watched. And at this camp, he starts to do some things. He sees that the team hates each other. The community hates whites, and the community hates blacks. The two communities hate each other. They don't want this to happen. They're fighting for it not to happen. So he takes them to this camp. First thing he does is he makes, we see that all the white players sit on the bus and all the black players sit on the bus. Well, he says, no, that's not going to work. So he makes them sit with the offense and the defense, and he makes blacks sit with whites. Then they get to the camp. He says, you may think you can room with whoever you want, but you're actually rooming with someone of a different color. So he makes them room together, and then they start fighting, right? And and they, they won't block for each other. They won't, you know, get along with each other. They won't talk to each other. They fight each other. So he just sees this isn't working. So one thing he does, he says, okay, each of you, each and every one of you on the team has to talk to another teammate. So you will talk to every single teammate on your team throughout the next two weeks. Still not working. So one morning he takes them on a jog that we watched at the very beginning. And he takes them to a graveyard. It's a graveyard of Gettysburg, the battle in the Civil War. And he starts talking to them like we watched and he talks about how people fought and died on this, field, this you know, battlefield because of hate in their hearts. And he says a lie, and he's like, if we don't come together, we too will be destroyed. Right? Just like they were. And I love that line. And he says, you don't have to respect each other. You don't have to like each other, but you do have to respect each other. And maybe, just maybe, we'll learn to play this game like men. 
Well, that was kind of the turning point. And the next scene you see is you see two players, Gary Berter and Julius Campbell, maybe the two best players. Gary is the captain and he's white. Julius is a great linebacker and he's black. And their relationship is symbolic of the message of the movie. And the phrase left side, strong side is a symbolic phrase about two people who should hate each other coming together. And these two become best friends, and it's symbolic of what happens on this team. Well, this team isn't just an ordinary team. They go on undefeated through the regular season, and they end up winning the Virginia State Championship in 1971. All right? And it's an amazing movie, and it talks about racial tension. It talks about hate. It talks about loving your neighbor, people who aren't like you, Look, you know, being around people who aren't like you. And, and as I started thinking about this movie, and I watched this movie, and I just rewatched it, what we see is we see this team comes together, but in the community and in the stands, and in the world at the time, you still have hate. And I started thinking some more. This movie was based in 1971. It was released in the early 2000s, and we're in 2021. And I bet you if I could have played that speech last year or this year, not give you the context of the movie, it still hits home and still relevant today. We still hate each other. Races still hate each other. If you don't think that's true, you're, you're, we're lying to ourselves. People hate each other when it comes to COVID. Who got the vaccine? Who doesn't have the vaccine? Political parties hate each other. There's so much hate in this world. So this movie that was based in 1971 is still relevant today. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this and how it's still relevant. And to get everything rolling, I, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to participate with me. So here's the question, right? I don't want you to elbow anybody. I don't want you to look at anybody. I just want to raise your hand. How many of you know someone that's a little difficult to love? Raise your hand now. Don't elbow anybody. Don't point at anybody, right? How many of you know someone that's difficult to love? Every single one of us. And here's what's interesting. Have you noticed since 2020, I don't know why it is, but there's even more difficult people to love. Like, for whatever reason, 2020 brought all the craziness out, right? So the last 18 months, we're seeing all the craziness. And, and it's really this weird season where everybody's an expert. We listen to a podcast. We watch some YouTube videos. We know everything about everything, right? So, and it's just a weird world. But we're also in this weird time where we're quick to get angry, quick to judge, quick to look down on people. Well, I like to say it this way. We're quick to divide and hate each other. We're, we're quick to do that. We live in a cancel culture. We live in a culture where if someone votes different than you, looks different than you, what do we do? We cancel them. We want nothing to do with them. And we can say, well, why is that? Well, if you want to go real deep, why, I, I believe it's a simple answer. We live in a world that is hurting, and in return, we, we're hurting one another, right? We're hurt, we live in a world that's hurting, and in return, we hurt one another. So the world tells you, tells me, that, that it's okay to hurt people. It's okay to, to, to not, you know, love people who vote different than you. I'm going to say that a lot today. It's okay to not, you know, to, to hate people who have a different stance on masks or vaccines than you. It's okay to hate people who live a different lifestyle than you. It's okay to discredit people who may not, you know, do what you want them to do. Uh, the world says that's okay. And here's what's so, so sad. Churches, Christians... We've bought into that mentality. So my question is, if the, wor the world says that's okay, but the, the real question is this. Is that what honors God? Is that, what, is that what honors God? Is hating people, diminishing people, 
looking down on people because how they look, how they vote, what their beliefs are. Is that a way that honors God? Because here's the reality. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, which many of us are, your goal in life is to live a life that honors God. So we can ask this question about so many things. But in the context of loving people, is the way you're treating people, is that what honors God? Because we're called to a standard. We're called to live a certain way. Right? In the movie, remember the Titans? The racism by the whites and the blacks. And here's the thing. The whites hated the whites and the blacks hated the blacks. And the world told them that was, that was okay. And Coach Boone says, no, that's not okay. Right? Just like we're told by, by, by Jesus, hey, that way of living isn't okay. We have a standard to live by. And there's a disciple named John, and John was one of Jesus' disciples. And at the end of his life, about 40 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus, he finds himself an old man. Christianity is growing. Churches are growing, and it's spreading, you know. And he wants to make sure Christians live in such a way that honors God. So he sits down as an old man. He writes three letters. We're real creative. First John, second John, and third John. And in the first, we're going to look at first John today. And in that letter, in the very first chapter, he writes this. Here's the standard. We love because he, who is he? God first loved us. He's like, that's all you really need to know. We love Who's we? Followers of Jesus, those who claim to follow Jesus. We love, love, what is, what's love mean? It means we look for the best interest of others, even if we don't want to, right? So we look for the best interest of others. Why? Because he, God, first loved us. He's like, it's real simple. It's real simple. If you claim to be loved by God or you claim to love God, then here's what you do. You love others. Our love for others flows from us because of God's love for us. And here's the, this understanding. There's context in this. Meaning, if you really understand, if you really understand God's love for you, if you really truly accept it, here's what you're going to do. You're going to love other people. That's what he's saying. And he continues to go on in the same letter, but a couple chapters later in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. Whoever claims to love God, so, okay, us, right? Yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they cannot see. He's basically saying if you say you love God but you don't love other people, you're a liar. Now we see this strong word, hate. If I would have asked you at the very beginning of the day, how many of you hate someone, no, nobody would have raised your hand. Nobody would have, right? We're like, well, hey, hey listen, we don't hate them, right? We're told because hate's bad, right? We don't hate them, but here's what we do. We say things like, well, hey, listen, I can't stand that group of people. That group of people is to blame for everything. We, we kind of say something like this. If by some chance, like maybe an alien or some spaceship came and abducted them and we never saw them again, I wouldn't cry, right? It would be okay, like if they went away forever and never seen them again. But, but I don't hate them, Nathan. Come on, I'm a Christian. I don't hate anybody, right? Let's just change this word because in the context of the word, it's like this. Whoever claims to love God yet diminishes a brother or sister because of their skin color. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister by the way they vote. Whoever claims to love God yet dislikes someone or disapproves of someone or diminishes someone because of what they look like, where they come from, what their background is. Whoever claims to love God yet hates someone or, or says strongly dislikes someone of their stance of the vaccine is a liar. And he, 
See, you change that word, all of a sudden that's what John's saying. If we diminish people, if we, we look down on people, if we strongly dislike people because of our personal views or personal opinions. See, you can read your Bible all you want. You can come up here and you can quote scripture. You can know every word to every hymn, to every worship song ever created. You could be really religious and spiritual. You could come to church every single Sunday. But if you don't love, you miss it. Here, here's how we're going to say it. We're going to skip this next verse to Peyton. Go next slide. If you're living in such a way that you've given yourself permission. So if you've given yourself permission, God hasn't given it to you. No one else gave it to you. You gave yourself permission to mistreat anyone or a group of people. You aren't living to the standard of Jesus. And it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how much scripture you know. It doesn't matter how much you come to church. It doesn't matter how Christian you think you are. If you're living in such a way that you have given yourself permission to mistreat anyone or a group of people, you aren't living to the standard of Jesus. We aren't living to the standard of Jesus. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this. Because I, I was thinking about this. Because I, I believe this is what we're known for. To be honest with you. A lot of times Christians are known for this. Right? If you, if you, ha if you have no, if you, don't ha if you have friends who don't go to church, you have non-Christian family members, they're going to agree with this. They're going to love this. They're, this sermon they'll love, right? Now if you're a Christian, you may not like this sermon as much because well, we're going to talk about it. <clears throat> so I was thinking about this movie. And I was thinking about the teaching of Jesus. And there's a parable that Jesus taught because Jesus wasn't, he, he included people. We, we exclude people, he included people if you look at his ministry. But there's a parable he taught. It's a, it's a famous parable. Many of us know it, especially if you grew up in church. But if not, we're going to talk about it. And it's a parable and, and it's found in Luke and chapter 10. And I'm going to talk about this parable. But before we do, let's set the scene. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you're following along. And here's what it says. On one occasion, an expert and law stood up to test Jesus. So, not, a, not like a lawyer, but a, a religious person. A religious person who understood the Jewish law. Like a rabbi. Someone who understood, uh, you know, the Jewish law in the Old Testament. He, he came to test Jesus. He wanted to trick Jesus. So he said, teacher, so he's going to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically what he's asking, and maybe you've asked this. What, if I was only to do one thing and I messed everything else up, what is the one thing that I can do? What is the bare minimum I can do and still inherit eternal life, right? He's like, I, I believe in afterlife. What is the one thing I could do? Well, Jesus does what good rabbis did at the time, and it's kind of annoying, and here's what he does. In verse 26, what is written in the law? He's like, you have a question for me. I have a question for you. What is written in the law, and how do you read it? Well, this man's like, Pfft. I'm an expert. I, I know the law. So here's what he says. Here's, here's the man's answer in the next verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Right, this, this would have been no surprise. The Jew, this is a verse that came about in the Old Testament after Moses, you know, and God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, and this became kind of a, a creed for them, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and all your, all your you know, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the greatest commandment they call it in the Bible. And a lot of times we think this is two commands. It's not. The second part is not an add-on. It's a continuation. Love God with all you are. And in return, you will love people. Right? That's, that's, it's that easy. You want, Jesus said, you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? Love God. Love people. Because when you love God, you're going to live certain ways. When you love people, you're going to live certain ways. You're going to be living the life that honors God. That's the answer. Right? And that point, this is what the man should have said. Because if this is the greatest command, this is what we should say. Oh, Jesus, I, I, I can't live like that. I can't, I can't love God like that. I definitely can't love people like that. No, no, Jesus, I struggle with that. Jesus, you're the expert. You're the teacher. Why don't you help me live like that? That's what we should say when we read that. That's what this man should have said when he, when he heard Jesus speaking to him. That's not what he says. See, this guy wants to justify. And here's what he does. It even says he wants to justify himself. He wants to make, what, he wants to give an excuse of why he's li living this way. He wants to give himself permission to the way he's living. So he's like, he should have said, Jesus, help me do this. And here's all he says. Well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? I got an idea of who my neighbor is. I have an opinion of who my neighbor is. But what he wants to know is he wants to know who Jesus says his neighbor is. That's what he wants to get at. Well, Jesus, if you're the son of God, who do you say my neighbor is? Because I have a good idea of who my neighbor is. So what he's asking, he's like, who can I mistreat and who do I have to treat right? Who can I hate and who, who do I have to love? Who can I act a bad way towards and who must I give the benefit of doubt to? He wants to know who Jesus says his neighbor is. He's a Jewish man, and, and what we have to understand is for Jews, they knew exactly who their neighbor was. Their neighbor was another Jew who looked like them, acted like them, thought like them, and believed like them. That's who their neighbor was. So we have to understand this, this man's thinking and what he's going through. He loved his version. His version, that's so important, his version what he thought his neighbor was. He's like, I think I'm doing pretty good. And do you notice that he doesn't even mention in his response, he doesn't even mention, honor, he like jumps over the loving God part. Like he's like, I'm good with God. Right? That's what his first mistake, I'm good with God. Who do you say my neighbor is? And his whole life, he loved his version of what he thought his neighbor was. Now this is where I want to stop and I want to kind of flip this question around just a little bit. He says, who is my neighbor? Here's a question I want to ask you. And this, I, I, I think this is such an important question. So here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about it. Who don't you want to be your neighbor? Who don't you want to be your neighbor? What I mean by that is who don't you want to love? Who don't you want to love? Now, some of you are saying, I don't do that. So be, just no, dust off your halo a little bit and be honest. We're in church, okay? Who don't you want to love? Because I believe we all have people or groups of people that come to mind when I ask that question. For some people, again, you're fooling yourself if you don't think this is real. It's like the movie. It's the color of their skin. For some people today, it's the Democrats. For some people, it's the Republicans. For some people, it's the people who have the vaccine or don't have the vaccine. 
See, that's what this man is asking Jesus. He's like, Jesus, who, does, who doesn't have to be my neighbor? And I think if you're honest, you did some soul searching, you have an idea of who you don't want to be your neighbor. There are people in my life that if Jesus said, hey, Nathan, you don't have to love them, I'd be like, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus, right? Like, it's so much easier that way. See, there, there, there's something in us, and our, our human tendency is to separate from anything that's different than us. It is. We separate. And if you look at through mankind, the history of, of the world, you can see that pattern. We separate and then we devalue and value one group of people. That's what we do. And that's what you, you can see trying to go on in our culture now, right? You can see that. And what I call it in, in the Christian circle, it's a real simple term I've talked about before. It's, it's living in the bubble. And we're really good at that. What, what's living in the bubble? It's basically a confirmation bias. And that's what this, we're really good at culture. Confirmation bias is this. Surrounding ourselves with people who look like us, vote like us, think like us, and act like us. And that's all we do. And then there's nothing wrong with that. We should have those people in our lives. But my question is, if everybody in your bubble already knows the gospel, how are you bringing the gospel to new people? The answer is you're not. Right? You're not. It's impossible, right? So we should have people outside, uh, outside of our bubble or in our bubble who, who don't necessarily look like us, vote like us, or think like us. It, it, it just has to happen. It's what Jesus did. It says in Luke 15, he ate with the sinners and tax collectors, people outside the religious bubble. But the bubble does this. It loves people who look like them and acts like them. And, and really what the bubble does is the bubble loves only those inside the bubble. And here, here's where I'll give people credit. You're really good and I'm really good at loving the people inside our bubble, aren't you? Because who's the easiest person to love? The person who looks like you, who votes like you, believes like you, and acts like you. That is the easiest person to love. This man was probably, who asked the question, was most likely living in a bubble. And Jesus says, okay, you want to live in the bubble? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to redefine for the history of mankind what a neighbor is. And I'm going to draw a larger circle, a bigger circle of a bubble that you could ever imagine. And he does this by telling a parable. It's a parable of the Good Samaritan. And here it goes down like this. We'll, we'll summarize it, then we'll read it, verse 33, skip. So he says there's a man, and he's going down this well-known road. And as he's going down this road, this road was notorious for robbers and, and vandals, and if you want to do, gangsters, right? And so he gets, he gets robbed one day, he gets mobbed one day, and they steal everything he has, and they beat him, and they basically leave him probably clothless, bleeding on the side of the road. Jesus says, as this man's laying on the side of the road, uh, a priest, all right, like a priest, like come on, a priest is going to help him. A priest sees the man, and instead of going up to the man and helping the man, what the priest does is he walks to the other side of the road. Now throughout history, we have justified maybe why that man walked to the other side of the road. There's no reason, because the story doesn't have a reason. He just doesn't, right? So uh, the, the priest walks by. And then there's a Levite, which is basically another religious person, and he sees the man. And you know what the Levite does? He does the same exact thing. Again, we've tried to justify maybe why he did it, but there's no justification in the story. He just did the wrong thing. And then we pick it up. But Jesus says, but a Samaritan, understanding that, that it's not a big deal to us, Jews hated Samaritans. They were from the wrong sides of the tracks. They were not in the Jewish bubble, right? So they despised Samaritans. They would have never thought anything good could come from a Samaritan. So as they, Jesus starts to talk about a Samaritan, the Jew is probably thinking, this Samaritan can't do anything good. 
right? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. So he went up to the man. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to and bandaged his wounds. So he's touching him. He's literally touching his enemy and pouring oil and wine, which would not have been easily available. So he's spending money to take care of this man. And then he put the man on his own donkey, okay? Um, we don't put men or, or girls on donkeys today. So imagine you have a brand new car and uh, it's really, really nice. It's your favorite car ever. And you see a man on the side of the road who's bleeding and dirty and you put him in your interior and it gets all dirty, all right? So he puts him on the back of a donkey and he, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him, right? So he's taking him to an inn now, and he takes him to a local holiday inn. And then the next day, he took out about two denarii, which would have been two days' wages probably, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And the crowd, their, their mouth at the time would have dropped, right? They would have been, what in the world just happened? The Samaritan who was a natural enemy to the Jew, saw a man on the ground, a Jewish man. And you know what he didn't see? He didn't see an enemy. He didn't see someone who didn't vote like him, who didn't talk like him, didn't look like him. You know what he saw? He saw someone in need. And it says he took pity on him. He, he loved him. And he picks this bloody beaten man up Puts him in his Ferrari, his donkey, like his top of the line donkey, okay? Puts him on the donkey, takes him to the Holiday Inn, or whatever inn, I just say Holiday Inn because that's what I say. And he, he says, all right, give him the best room. Here's money. Take care of him. And he takes care, he takes care of him. The crowd's mouth would have been dropped. They would have been shook. They'd be like, what in the world? Right? And this man could represent someone of a different color, different political status, someone you don't like, right? That's the point of the story. And Jesus says to the man, okay, you, you have a question for me. Let me ask you a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Who do you think it was? Well, the man would have looked down at the ground, embarrassed, and under his breath, he would have said this. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus being who Jesus was, go and do likewise. What Jesus does in this story is real simple. He says, love your neighbor. And what he does is he redefines what a neighbor is for all mankind. Not the world necessarily, because the world doesn't necessarily follow Jesus. But what he does do for you and me, if you follow Jesus, is he redefines who your neighbor is. So the question is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And here's what's awesome. Jesus says, no longer is your neighbor only the people who look like you, who vote like you, who think like you, who act like you. No. A neighbor is this. Is any person, regardless of race, background, career, political view, whatever you want to add in there with, you are, with who our paths cross with. I can say it this way. A neighbor is any person, regardless of race, background, career, political view, that you ever come eyeball to eyeball with. Any person you ever come into contact with. And in the movie, uh, I talked about Gary and Julius. Well, one night, uh, Gary, after a big football game, he celebrates. And, and they're celebrating. They won this huge game. And he gets in a car wreck. I want to show you this scene. And I think it's a perfect example 
of loving your neighbor? All right, Peyton, you're good, man. That scene is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's the, it's the saddest scene in the movie, obviously. Um, but did you notice what happens? Is these two players hated each other. They hated each other. The beginning of the movie. And then G Gary gets in a car wreck. And then Julius goes in and nurse tries to say, only family allowed. And what's he say? Are you blind? That's my brother. And when I imagine the Good Samaritan being played out, I imagine that. Two men the world said she'd hate each other. Two men the world said had nothing in common. Becoming brothers. Not seeing skin color. Not seeing this, you know, dislikes. Not seeing different cultures. But seeing someone who they love. Jesus said, your neighbor is anyone you come into contact with. It's a Democrat, it's a Republican, it's the person you can't stand. It's anybody you come into contact with. That is who your neighbor. Who are you supposed to love? Anybody you ever come eyeball to eyeball with. But here's what we want to do as soon as we hear that. We want to look for loopholes, don't we? Whoa, 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 listen. No, no, no way he can actually mean love that person. No way he can actually mean that I have to treat that person right. No way. They, 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 they just go against everything I believe in. Jesus, why did you have to make that definition of a neighbor? And the answer is so simple. Because every body matters to God. Why do we live by you matter? Because every body matters to God. Going back to that letter that John wrote, remember I said there's an old man named John writing letters? Well, he wrote back in 1 John, he says this, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the one who died for our sins, Jesus, and not only for ours. He's like, hey, Jesus just didn't die for you. But he says this, but, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's like, bring it in. If you are having a hard time loving people, he's like, all eyes up. 
all eyes up here. He says, listen, that whole world phrase means everybody you diminish, everybody you can't stand, the person that you think is unlovable, Jesus died for them too. John's like, here's the bottom line. Jesus was the sacrifice on the cross for them just like he was for you. And that right there should be enough to love your neighbor. And you can't, we can't, think we're right with God and hate someone he died for. Parents, if someone hurts your kids, are they okay with you? Not a chance, right? You can't think you can dishonor, hate, discredit someone that Jesus died for and be right with Jesus. And that right there should be enough. But if that's not enough, here's what always helps me. When you're difficult, God still loves you. Right? Because sometimes I'm sure when God raises his hand, like, yep, Nathan Palahowski, he's hard to love. I still love him. Right, for you, even though we're followers of Jesus, like when you sin, when you hate, when you judge, when you dishonor other people, God, guess what God still does? He still loves you through Jesus. Now, I, I'm not this like uh, hopeless idealist about love and mushy-gushy type of person. That's not me. Um, I'm a jerk sometimes. I'm judgmental sometimes. I cut people out that I should bring in sometimes. But what I want to do at the end of every day, and it's something I strive for every day, and I bet you do too. I want to love like Jesus. How many of you are with me? I just want to love like Jesus. Right? That's what I want to do. If, if you can say one thing, he's like, yeah, he loved like Jesus. That's what I want to do. And you want to do that because you know that's the best way to live. You know it. But the question is, can we love like Jesus? And the answer may shock you. The answer is no. Not on our own. Not on our own. You see, we can try to be a little bit more loving. We can try to be less judgmental. And we should, be the, we should strive to do those things. But on our own, we can't live the way Jesus called us to live. See, what we need to do is we need Jesus to work in us and through us to love this way. Paul talks about this in one of his letters. He, he, he says this, a man named Paul in, in Galatians, he goes, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. He's like, when I tried to do it on my own, when, when I tried to be the best rule follower ever, when I just tried to be a better version of myself, it condemned me. So I died to the law. So I stopped trying to meet all its requirements. Listen, he's like, I, st I just stopped trying to be a better version of myself so that I, I might live for God. See, my old self has been crucified. He's like, when I made that decision to be baptized, when I made that decision to follow Jesus, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is talking about a great mystery. How do you live, how do you love and live the way Jesus has called you to live? And he says the answer is so simple, but it's a profound mystery. It's Christ is in you. He's talking about what we call the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when, when he left his disciples, he said, when I leave you, there will be a helper. There's going to be a helper. It's, a, it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, 
right? It's a person, the Holy Spirit coming into our life. It's the comforter. It's the redeemer. It's the encourager. It's the challenger. It's the enabler. It's the presence of God working in our lives to change us, to mold us, to look more like Jesus. If you want to love and look more like Jesus, you have to lean into the Holy Spirit. And the promise is, as you lean into the Holy Spirit, it will change you, it will shape you, and there'll be what we call fruits of the Spirit. And here's what these fruits are. Again, this is not a, a list to do. These are not a list to do. But this, this should, these are a byproduct of what you'll have in your life if you're allowing the Spirit to change you and shape you. And here's what's awesome. Come next year, we're going to have an entire series called Fruitful, all about these. All right, we're going to talk about it. So if you don't know what this means, come back in like six months. All right, we'll, we'll get you there. But this is what it says. So as the Spirit is working in you, here's what you'll have. You'll have love. Hey, what, we, what we've been talking about all day. We'll have joy. We need some more joy. We'll have peace, forbearance. We'll have kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what happens when the Spirit comes into your life. It's not a to-do list. It's a byproduct of who you should become as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is working in your life. It's the sanctification process, the process of becoming more and more like Christ. And you can't do it on your own, and I can't do it on my own. We need the Spirit to lean in us. So what I'm trying to say is we don't do the loving alone. The Holy Spirit helps us love our neighbor. And I want to give you five quick ways. I know we're running long here. Five quick ways that help you lean into the Spirit. If you're not taking notes, you need to take notes. This is what you need here. Open our eyes. Open your eyes to knees around you. Open to the, your eyes as you're leaning into the Spirit uh, of who maybe the Spirit is showing you to love. Open our arms. The idea of open arms means what? That you're embracing the Holy Spirit. You're inviting the Holy Spirit into your life to show you who to love. Open our hearts. This is the idea of allowing the Holy Spirit to come into you and change how you view people, view how you view, change how you view the world, change how you talk, change how you live. Open our mouths. Pray that the Holy Spirit guides you. Pray that the Holy Spirit will, will encourage you and prompt you to live the way he's called you to do. And then open ourselves. Open yourself to the correction. Open yourself to the change. Open yourself to the Spirit. Change you to become more like Jesus. It's not behavior modification. Because the goal of our faith is to allow the Spirit to transform us in our relationships, how we view people, how we view the world, how we treat people, how we live every single day. As you open your eyes and you open your arms and you open your hearts and you open your mouths and you open ourselves to the Spirit, you will find that loving someone you never thought you could love is possible. Not because of you, but because of Christ in you. And the best practical way you can leave doing this today, besides these five things, here's the practical thing you do. I heard a minister say this once, and I, and I stole it, and I'm going to use it today. You ask this question, what does love require of me in this situation? What does love require me when I'm upset with my spouse? What does love require me when I'm on Facebook looking at things that, uh, of people I disagree with? What does love require me when I'm eyeball to eyeball with someone I can't stand? What does love require of me? And then lean into the Spirit. And let the Spirit show you exactly what love requires of you in that situation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son for the world. And Jesus says, as followers, people will know that we are followers of him by how we love one another. And if you're here today, if you never accepted that love that God so freely wants to give you through Jesus, I encourage you to accept that. 
But for the rest of us, let's leave today asking, what does love require of me in this situation? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that, that your word says you loved first that teaches us how to love. You love so we can love, God. And I pray that we remember that love that you give us. Father, and I'm also going to pray today that your spirit fills us. That we leave today opening our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our mouths and ourselves and our arms to your spirit. To fill us so we can live the way you called us to live. God, we're living in such a hostile world and a hostile time. What the world needs most from us is to get the message of Christ out to them. And how we do that is by living as the type of neighbors you called us to live. God, we love you so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.